0: The following podcast is a Dear Media production.
2: Welcome back to another episode of the Career Contessa podcast, your shortcut to being more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. I'm your host, Lauren Goodman. The salary transparency movement is well underway. In 2021, Colorado paved the way for new laws requiring businesses to list salary ranges on job ads, and New York City rolled out its own pay range law in November, 2022. Now, in 2023, a handful of other states and cities are rolling out their own salary transparency laws. And naturally, we want to know how this will impact your life. We invited negotiation expert Andres Laris to the show to discuss how you can use these salary transparency laws to your benefit, tips for talking about salary during a negotiation process, and the number one thing that you need to build before you can persuade anyone at work. And now, this is the Career Contessa podcast. The idea of salary transparency isn't necessarily new. In fact, at Career Contessa, we've been advocating for this since we launched in 2013 and even have an anonymous salary database called The Salary Project that's totally free and will give you access to tons of real salaries. We've also had entire episodes, blog posts, and more dedicated to talking about salary with your friends and your coworkers, since many of us were taught to never discuss money. It feels like this conversation is starting to really gain traction, though, with the introduction of salary transparency laws. Here to share more about this new law and really how it can help us is Andres Laris. Andres, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. All
2: right. So let's start with learning more about you and your background and really how you became a negotiation expert, which naturally makes you kind of a salary expert because so many people need to negotiate salaries. But tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Sure. So I'm um, the managing partner at the Shapiro Negotiations Institute. So it's a it's a global firm based in Baltimore, Maryland been around for 28 years now, so 1995, and really focused on negotiation training, typically more on kind of the corporate business side. So over the years, certainly we've seen our fair share and been involved in many salary negotiations. And so that's the context, but our day-to-day is kind of training Fortune 5000 type of companies, whether it's salespeople, procurement people, HR managers, hiring managers, and you know just about every industry how to negotiate.
2: That's so interesting because I feel like Many of us think of negotiation as maybe one thing we're doing, especially at like a, an important moment. So salary negotiation or maybe like negotiating for your house, right? When you, when you go to put yep. that offer in. But obviously you make a living doing that out of this, which means people are negotiating all the time. And it's not just salespeople. I like that you mentioned HR people too.
1: Yeah, I think that's the piece that people don't realize how much they do it, right? So if you think of other roles like project managers, right? So project managers literally that's all they're doing, right? They're negotiating with, you know, Lauren the colleague to get that as a priority, and then they're negotiating with the next person for so it's, you know, whether it's budget prioritization. If you're a leader, you're negotiating with with your team underneath you to motivate them and inspire them, and you know, get them on the same page, and and certainly you know M&A transactions or you know, there's just so many. So there are a lot of different ways to use this, and and it happens all the time. And so it's just a matter of how you approach it.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to ask you some questions about negotiation later, but we actually brought you on the show because we want to talk about salary transparency laws. So can you explain what these are, what they mean, and really kind of like what states have them now and, and any other important details?
1: Sure, happy to. So, the first disclaimer, as uh, any lawyer would, but I'm not a lawyer, is to say exactly that, but I'm not a lawyer. So, you know, this is, I will focus a little bit less on kind of the laws themselves and more how it would impact folks that are going to be. You know, in these states, essentially affected by them, and how they can negotiate around them or take advantage of them, and so you know, transparency laws are are really taking into effect now. Are that essentially state by state, a little bit different, but conceptually, is that companies are forced to provide salary information either in job posts or when we're. Requested by applicants, or there's some details that are affected state by state. And so the idea is that there's more access to that information for a job candidate. And as a result, that transparency hopefully should allow for a little bit less kind of division in who gets what, if you will, and and more transparency should lead to that. And so the first thing to note is just how different they are, right? So if you look at state to state, so some are a company must provide the, the, the salary information if an applicant requests it. Well, another one they must post it in all job descriptions that are posted online. In others, they must post all benefit information, not just salary. So, you know, 401k matching and PTO. Type, all of these things must be uh, some after the initial interview. So, there's so many different ones, and so you really should be aware. And then, of course, it gets even more complex now with with working remotely and all of that. Well, what happens if it's a California-based company and you live in Iowa? Right. And so there is a lot there. And so, again, I'm not here to parse it as a lawyer, but I will say we can certainly talk more about how transparency should lead to different and better outcomes from a negotiation perspective.
2: Yeah, that's actually really interesting that you mention just the variety of what these laws can mean, because Well, obviously, each person should look this up for the state they're in. But you mentioned something like actually some some of these laws mean that the company is required if you ask. Well, you wouldn't know to ask that, right, if you had no idea. So just like honestly, just that tidbit is really interesting. But yeah, let's get into, you know, why are these salary transparency laws important and how do they help even the playing field?
1: Well, I thought with one good tidbit, we'd be done. And then, you know, we've given everyone enough, but I guess you want more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so
2: we do. We can,
1: we, we can go a little more then. So, yeah, how does that work? So, I mean, transparency, the, the reason transparency is helpful is if you take a step back and you think of negotiation, so information's power, right? So the more information you have access to, the the better you can perform in a negotiation. And that happens for two reasons. So one is the more information you have, the more confident you are. And so and confidence is really important. There's a phrase that we like to say in a lot of our training, which is nothing convinces like conviction. And so the more information you have, the more confident you are, the more confident you are, the better you'll be able to perform. But the second is just the reality of, for example, if you're buying a house, right? And so the the larger the transaction or, or the negotiation, the more research you put in. If you're buying a house, you would never buy a house without looking at, hey, what did the house sell before it sold to you? And what does the neighbor house sell for? And things like that. And so having that transparency gives you additional ammunition to use. Because if you think about it, the more information you have, then it's your job to parse out, okay, is this something that I want to use or not? For example... If you're you know, given the salary range and the job eventually is offered to you the top end of the salary, well, then you may not use that too much and you're going to be very thankful and, and appreciative of the fact that you're on the top end. But if it's at the bottom end, you know, your first offer potentially from an employer is at the bottom end of the range, then of course, you would remind them that you know, at the beginning of this, this process, X and Y were the ranges and I'm closer to X than Y. And so tell me a little bit more about that. So the idea is it gives you an additional piece of ammunition, which you have a choice to use. And that's one. And then the second is typically, if we unfortunately, there's disparity for whether it's women, minorities. So all often the folks that necessarily don't have as high salaries and are compared, you know, across the board. Unfortunately, it gives you a little bit more from a transparency standpoint, possibility to potentially even a playing field there.
0: Mm-hmm. Hey everyone, it's Aaliyah hopping on really quick to talk about one of the sponsors we have on today's episode, Inside Tracker. You all have probably heard me talk about Inside Tracker if you're a regular listener of the Career Contessa podcast. So I'm here to provide you with an update on my experience. So if you don't know, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness trackers in order to give you a rundown of your health. They give you tips on how to improve your health based on the results that they gain from your body. So I got my blood drawn and I got a DNA analysis and it was all really easy. Within just a few days, I got two long, but honestly easy to read PDFs that outlined which biomarkers were low or just right. I personally found out that I had low vitamin D, so now I'm working on ways to bump that up. It's so great that I was able to see an analysis so clearly. Sometimes I feel like even going to the doctor, it's hard to get a full blood work panel done. By using data from your blood, DNA, and fitness trackers, Insight Tracker gives you personalized and science-backed recommendations on things you can take control of to optimize your health, like food, supplements, workouts, and lifestyle choices, including ways to optimize sleep and stress. Insight Tracker tests and provides optimal ranges for over 40 biomarkers like magnesium, vitamin D, testosterone, cortisol, and ferritin. The thing I love most about Insight Tracker is that they have a strict science-backed approach to everything they do, if your specific biomarker level is unoptimized, Inside Tracker provides you recommendations that are backed by dozens of peer-reviewed studies and personalized to you. This process was set in place by their founders, that include experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store when you sign up at InsideTracker.com/Contessa. So if you're ready to get a crystal clear picture of what's going on inside your body, along with science-backed recommendations to optimize what's not working, then visit insidetracker.com Contessa to get started. We've talked a lot about career pivots on the Queer Contessa podcast, and one of the most reliable ways to make a successful pivot is to invest in education to help you get where you want to go. Our sponsor today, the Georgia Tech Scheller College of Business can help you do that without breaking the bank. Scheller wants their students to feel empowered in their careers, no matter their background, work experience, or future goals. Through a business education at Scheller, you will gain infinite opportunities to grow and transform both personally and professionally while learning from the brightest minds at the intersection of business and technology. What I love about their approach is that they believe it's more than just showing up to lectures and reading the books. Scheller provides hands-on learning experience that will actually translate to real-life work experience. Scheller offers full-time, evening, and executive MBA programs that are consistently ranked top 20 in the nation. Plus, Scheller's MBA career services are ranked top five in the world, five years running. In fact, their class of 2022 graduates had a 100% employment rate. Scheller is located in the heart of Atlanta's Tech Square, an area with the highest density of startups, corporate innovators, and researchers in the southeastern U.S., If you've listened to our podcast before, you know that we are big proponents of investing in your education and personal development. It's so important to your career growth or if you're trying to make a career pivot. The great thing about the Scheller community is that it has many opportunities to build leadership skills through student-led clubs, committees, events, and leadership development courses. Scheller also offers many scholarships for women. So making an investment in you and your MBA is actually accessible. Visit gtmbawomen.com to learn more about Scheller's MBA programs. That's gtmbawomen.com to learn more. All right, let's get back to the show. Do you want to start a company but have no idea where to begin? Or do you have dreams of becoming an influencer? Well, the Life with Mariana podcast is here to help. I'm Mariana Hewitt, a Los Angeles based influencer and co founder of the Clean Skincare Line, Summer Fridays. Each Tuesday, I'm talking to my friends from business owners, wellness experts, and more to share all of their best advice for you to live your best life. Make sure to tune in and subscribe to my podcast and follow me on Instagram at mariana underscore Hewitt to see what's coming up each week so you don't miss an episode.
2: And what tips can you share to help people secure their best job offer using salary transparency laws?
1: So salary transparency, they can be you know, easy to kind of use that as your, as your crutch if you're the one tool. And so the first is there's a lot of other tools, right? So you, in addition to transparency from that one company, so the range, because I do want to give a big caveat here as an example. Well, state to state is different, but there are states where there's no restrictions on the ranges. So I could say, Lauren, I'm glad you applied to this job. This job will pay somewhere between $25,000 and $350,000 a year. So I just wanted to give you a heads up and you'd say, oh, that's tremendous. Yeah, I'd like to be on the, the upper end of that. Yes, yeah. of course you would. So you know, as an example of that, you have to be aware that in that case, it's not that helpful, right? So that they would be checking the box, the employer would in fact be following the transparency laws but it really wouldn't be that helpful to you as a prospective employee. And so then the question is, it's not your only tool, right? So you still wanna use all of the different tools out there for salaries because then the next factor is, just like when you're buying a house, you wouldn't just look at what your specific house sold for before, you'd look at the neighbors. Well, you might want to do, you know, salary.com or you know um, Glassdoor, or all the other sites that you can find comparable. So you can see what this job pays for in different companies and in other areas, things like that, as also additional ammunition. So just because these have passed, you want to look at other vehicles. That's that's one big one. And then another big one I would say is what you do with the information is just as important as the information itself. And so I'll give an example. So you know generally in salary negotiations, uh, there's in, in negotiations in general, there's uh, There's times where you want to go first, and that's if you want to anchor. So if both sides have a really good sense of the information, you want to anchor. What you want to do is you want to make it so that your number is kind of where you start. If there is a likelihood that either side is not going to know, then you ideally want to let them go first. And so there's a third category, which really only fits for salary negotiations and situations like this that are very sensitive, which is especially if you're at the currently the job and potentially asking for a raise, but also if you're a new candidate. Which is ideally want to do a hybrid where you're asking them, but you're not putting a particular number in place. And so what would that look like? Well, if I were to say, you know, I get an offer for fifty thousand dollars and the range was forty to seventy, then rather than saying, well, the range before is forty to seventy, I'd like to be closer to the seventy, you could say, you know, originally when the ranges came out, it was forty to seventy. I'd noticed the offer is fifty. Can you tell me a little bit more about how you determined it should be fifty rather than sixty or seventy? And so the idea is very counterintuitive. People think that the best negotiators are smooth talkers, when in fact, asking very good questions is the best way because you actually put pressure on the other side when you ask questions. Now the ball's on their court to be able to defend why you got an offer of 50, not 60 or 70, rather than you in turn asking for 60 or 70 when there's less pressure on them to do so. So those would be a couple kind of right off the bat.
2: And for the tools that you mentioned about trying to find out other salary data points, you mentioned some websites. What about talking to other people? Like, Would that be a really good salary data point or is it hard to do that in general? So skip that and just go straight to the websites.
1: So that is a good piece of information. It's salary, maybe not as much as, you know, religion and politics is yeah. uh, sometimes uh, something that's avoided by folks. So it's something that you may not necessarily get that. And then if you do, the question is, you know, generally, is it going to be kind of as, uh, you know, Is it, how precise will it be, it be really, right? So information is only as good when it's accurate and precise. And so you kind of want to be sensitive to that. So I think it's, it doesn't hurt to ask if you feel comfortable with folks. But if you think of you know Lauren's coming in, she's an applicant and she's three interviews in and you know it goes very well and you're expecting a, a job offer soon you know how realistic and comfortable would you feel kind of reach out to two or three folks and say, hey, how much do you make at that company? And it might be complicated rather than if you're already there and have some sense, that's easier, of course, right? If it's internal, you can say, okay, I'm a manager now and this is for a director role. You know you might have a director who you're comfortable and, and you know know very well. You might ask them what director levels typically make. Of course, that type of information is worth asking. But I would say just like anything else, you want to be sensitive to how would this question be received? And if you don't have a relationship to ask folks, it could potentially do more harm than good. It could be a little bit off-putting to get into that conversation. Mm
2: -hmm. I remember when I was a recruiter, we were trained and taught and, and told to always ask people what are their salary expectations in the very first phone call. And to your point, we were trying to get them... We were asking them to tell us their number first to see... We knew what the range was. right? And so it's interesting that you talked about... like. If you have a lot of information, it's good to anchor it. And if you don't have a lot of information, it's good to try to get them to give you a range first, because now I, I think that most of the advice I would give someone if they were going in for a new job offer is... Wait until you learn, you know, it's hard to answer that question in the very first initial phone interview. And so can you put that off as long as possible? And now there's so many good, easy ways. And I almost think recruiters Uh are used to people now putting that off. What would your advice be around that conversation? It's like you're being asked about salary. Maybe you're able to push it off a little bit, but, you know, at some point it's going to come up in that job interview.
1: So, and one thing too, I, I like what you mentioned, there's a recruiter that asking that, and the reason you do that is to kind of filter out really how yeah. likely the person is to be a fit, right? So if the job pays between 70, and 90, and they say 130, well, you're probably yeah. not going to waste any time. And so what's interesting is you know, that, that it's a filtration process as a recruiter because you've got so many of these to make. But then to your second point, I like that you mentioned, but at the end of the day, if you don't know that much about the role, that actually, that question is really, if you ask it the way you were when you were a recruiter, it's an indication of what you're making now. Yeah. Really what the, and that's that's another we again, not a lawyer asterisk, but uh there's a lot of places that are now starting to open up rules with the other way, which is that employers are not allowed to ask candidates how much they're making now. Yeah. And so, and the reason that is exactly for that reason that if you ask someone, you know, what are your salary expectations, then they're basically saying, Well, I'm making X now and I'd make it a little bit more, rather than hey, this role is really, you know, pays this and that's what I'd like to be making. And so So a couple of things, what you said, very much consistent, is that you want to learn a little bit more about the role. That's definitely important. And so part of the process is, do you want the role, of course, but also the more you learn about the role and the responsibilities, the more accurately you can kind of judge that. And you can also look up the comparables. And then so generally, again, we would typically push towards having them make the first offer. And so some things you can do, though, in order to kind of frame it in a way. So, for example, of course, right, if someone asks you, you want to be ready. Someone asks you, well, Lauren, are you looking at other jobs or, you know, what other options do you have at this point? Or when they're kind of getting to that as alternatives, because that's leverage, you want to make you want to be kind of ready for that. And so ready means, for example, let's say you're not looking at any other jobs. Without being disingenuous, without lying, how would you answer that question? And you want to think about that. If you are, in fact, looking at three or four other jobs and you're having a bunch of interviews, then, of course, it would be helpful to say, look, you know, you're know, you you're one of my top ones, but I am in the interview process with three or four other companies. And so because that's really alternatives, really create leverage. And so that you want to be thoughtful about that. That's another piece that oftentimes uh, the, the good negotiators in this space will ask a question that kind of catches you off guard. So for example, they are like, really, Lauren, where else are you looking and then you realize right then and there that actually I got called for this out of nowhere. I wasn't really looking. And so all of a sudden now they know that, well, you do this or keep your job. And so now there's a little less pressure rather than if you were to say, look, well, I'm a finalist for three other roles. So I actually kind of need to get this figured out before the end of the week. Because I want to make sure that you know I don't walk away empty-handed. Well, that's quite a different conversation you're having now, right? Now they're going to move yeah. to get Lauren. And now that first offer probably will be a little bit more aggressive. Yeah. And so that's a really kind of important thing. I always kind of compare it to poker. That in poker, the cards you have are very important. How many job offers you have or what alternatives you have and your education and your opportunities are all actually very important. But equally as important is how you play them, right? And so they don't know how many other options you have or how much you'd want this job. And so if you think of it that way of how would I be playing this if I was interested in this job, but had many other alternatives, that's something that you may want to consider and, and kind of get into that mindset.
2: Mm-hmm. So one hack I hear a lot when it comes to salary transparency laws. So Colorado being kind of the forefront in this leading with this law and that, that one of the hacks people will say in salary negotiations is go look up your job title at a similar type of company in Colorado, it will give you the salary range, then you can use that information. What are, what are your thoughts on that hack?
1: Like the idea is like, hey, like go to the states that are tighter that are going to have more. Yeah, so I mean that works, but uh, so we've, I've been we've been having a lot of conversations about transparency laws, right? Because they're obviously it's it's a big change and there's a lot of conversations around. It. And I would say while it is helpful, generally the concept isn't groundbreaking. I mean, there are plenty of job descriptions that have ranges already. And there are plenty of websites that post what people make at specific companies. So while that hack is definitely worthwhile, right? You're in a state where you only have to do it if you're asked or before you make an offer, for example, which would be the the least impactful, right? You go all the way through the process, and right before you're offered, then you're given the range. Well, that's the least impactful, and you go instead to a state where it's the most impactful, and it has to be posted in the you know in the job description. That can be helpful information, but. I would also be, you know, as a devil's advocate, how much more information is that than what was available already on the internet, right? I would say it's not a huge, huge advantage. So that would be my feedback because that is helpful. It's a worthwhile hack. But is that really that much more helpful than the information you had available, say, two years ago?
2: Yeah. It almost feels like the bigger advantage is actually in your negotiation skills. To your point, knowing what your cards are, how you play your cards, you know, (laughs) a lot of times it can come down to how you phrase a question. Like it's not necessarily saying, well, how much, what's the range of this role? Maybe it's the fact that you ask it more as a question than a statement, you know, little nuances like that. When it comes to negotiation, I was actually going to ask that is like, For someone who's maybe wants to ask for a raise or wants even in a new job offer, how can you get someone to tell you their range of what they're thinking? Like As a negotiation expert, how do you pull that out of somebody when maybe they also don't want to give that information? What's your advice?
1: Yeah. So two things. Before I answer that, I think something that you said really kind of struck a chord with me in that one thing I talk about negotiation, communicating when you're negotiating, is really should see it as a spectrum. Right, And so let's imagine that you're in a job and you're asking for a raise, but you absolutely love your job. And this would be the kind of the icing on the cake, but the reality is you love your job and you would keep it as is. And let's listen in the other spectrum where you've got three job offers. And so you've asked for a 20% raise. And if you don't get all 20% and if it doesn't happen in the next couple of weeks, you're leaving for sure 100%. Well, we think of that spectrum. We think in the first, you might say, look, you know, based on the following things I've done and why I'm so valuable and looking forward, here's why I think I might be deserving of a raise. What do you think? And that's kind of a, in the ones, very soft, you put it on them. And you you're know, you not specifically talking what numbers, but you're describing that you feel like you, you do that and it's very soft. And then the other one, it might be like, hey, I do really need that 20% raise. And if you don't get it by X day, and I've moving on. I really, and you can still be nice about it. I, I really enjoy working here, but there, I just have another opportunity that's just too good to pass up. And I want to make sure that you know we get this addressed. Otherwise, I have to take that. Well, so that would be the spectrum you're in. And so, when you want to do it, I think the first step is okay. Where am I? And so that does two things. First of all, you kind of realize your priorities and objectives, right? So, is this something that I need or want, and how much do I want it? And so that should determine how aggressive you are about it. And then the second is you'll notice that in either scenario, you can still be nice about it. So even in the second one, we're like, I really need to know by X date is I I really enjoy working here. I understand this can be a, you know, can be empathetic. Lauren, I'm sorry to put you in this tough spot, but I, of course, we kind of need to do what's best for each and our own families. And so, so so there's things you can still be empathetic. You can still be nice about it, but you can see one's much more aggressive than the other. And so I'd say those it's really valuable, I think, to think of in that way because it also forces you to think about how important is this and how much do I want it, how many you know alternatives do I have and how much leverage do I have here? And so that's kind of a little caveat there. And then, sorry, remind me where you wanted me to go because I just wanted to make sure I did not forget that.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, I, I want to know as a negotiation expert, how can you get someone to tell you the range when uh, yes. maybe they don't want to tell you the range. <laughs> yes.
1: So let's assume you know, you're talking to an HR person at a company. And so, yeah, great question because I just said, hey, so you want to ideally avoid putting your number out first. And so, okay, wait, but how do I do or that? Or like, right? I don't
2: want to waste my time in the interview process if your range also isn't anywhere near where I'm going toward. You know, it goes both ways, right? In yep. the filtering system.
1: Absolutely. So I, generally, it actually is a little bit easier because structurally a company will have a lot more information then the employee will have a potential employee, right? So if you think about it, so Lauren, the HR person, so you know, you you've hired other there's a bunch of other people in that role. If it's a very big company, even if it's not, you've hired other people in that role, unless it's an entirely new role that there's no comps for. And so there is that background the employee doesn't have. So generally that's where you could defer to them. So, you know, Lauren, Isa, just before you finish the first interview, just to make sure, obviously, from we aren't wasting your time and vice versa. Just, you know, if you don't mind walking me through, since you're privy to a lot more information than I am for this role, where do you see realistically? And then you can either do either, like if it's broad, like where do you see this role from a salary perspective? Or now that we've had this first interview before we finish up here, based on my experience in particular, where do you see approximately, even if it's not exact, and so what's interesting is when you make that ask, very, very rarely will someone have the kind of the confidence and comfort level to put it back on you and say, you know, that's actually, I was going to ask you that. Why don't you tell me what your expectations are? That does happen, but it's actually quite rare because people kind of under pressure feel uncomfortable doing that. And so they'll just kind of answer it. So it becomes kind of a race that if you ask it first, then, you know, very, very rarely will it be pushed back on you. And so I think there is that you could have that deference because... It's right. They're the person that hires more people, right? You're only applying for this one job. You're privy to much less information than the HR manager or the boss or whatever, whoever you may be talking to, the recruiter, you know, in that case too, they have that information, right? They're not getting a job without understanding what the salary range is. So I think you defer to kind of like the, Hey, you have more experience and information. And so if you ask it, I think most of the time what we see is like 90 plus percent of the time people will give an answer. Now it may not be, Oh yeah, exactly this much, but you will definitely get more information.
2: Yeah, that's great. And to your point, information is power. And the key to part of this is just asking a lot of questions up front and trying to gather as much information. Okay. So I want to wrap up with some negotiation tips, but also, so you have a a book called Persuade, and it talks about a four-step system on how to persuade people. So I feel like while you're here, we have to cover both topics. So first thing I want to talk about is top tip for you know, persuading someone to to go your direction or do what you want them to do. What would you say it is?
1: So I I will do a spoiler for the whole book and basically describe. There's a four step process. So Aristotle taught in 350 BC ethos, pathos, logos, which is credibility, emotion, logic. And what he was saying is people make decisions based on those factors. First, credibility. right? Do I believe this person is credible? Do I think they have my self-interest at heart or just their own? So credibility. And so if they're credible, then you care. Then the second came emotion because people make decisions emotionally, and then they justify them rationally. And so emotion was very important. So what emotional triggers do you pull and levers do you pull? Then the third was logic. And so generally, when we want to persuade people, we typically go right to logic, right? These are the 14 ways why you should do this. You know, it's so like if our company it'd be easy to be boasting. We've trained 200,000 people, but that's not why people choose us. That makes them feel better after they can sleep at night knowing, hey, they've done this before. But that's not why they choose us. And so it's very easy to kind of go to that logic. So that's where Aristotle stopped: ethos, pathos, the logos, which is credibility, emotion, logic. And Then we added a fourth step, which is facilitate action. And the idea is for all those situations where it's like, is that a good idea? Yes, it is. Okay, great. Are we going to have that done in two weeks? Yes, we are. And then two weeks passes and you follow up with that person and say, hey, like what happened here? Oh yeah, no, there's you know, you know, lots of explanations, but nothing was done. So how do you create an environment where it's as likely as possible that the behavior you want will occur? And so, you know, how do you kind of get that commitment in the, in the get-go? And so that's essentially, you know, if you're thinking of persuading someone I would say that's the order you want to follow because that's how people make decisions. And so really it starts with that first one, right? Are you credible? Because yeah. you're not credible. People just don't care. You can you yeah. can say whatever you want, but people just simply don't care.
2: Yeah. No, I I love that advice. And it's it, you know, when people think about how to create influence at work, I think they always get really stumped. They're like, Well, how do I do this? this is a big question. It's like credibility is a great place to start. And I feel like that one is very I don't want to say easy to understand, but like easier, maybe to understand than the word influence. Mm-hmm. So I think that's great. And then, as we wrap up, best piece of negotiation advice that you could share with us?
1: It's tough. I think I know. <laughs> uh, if, 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 if you ask me like 10 consecutive days, I'd give you 10 consecutive answers. But the one that yeah. comes to mind right now is that negotiation is a process and not an event. And so, I would say if there's one thing, so we do a lot of training, but we also do a lot of coaching and consulting on kind of real live negotiations. And one of the interesting things I find is if you take away kind of the expertise or any of that, just having an objective third party kind of be kind of a devil's advocate in your mind, reminding you that, you know, with time, these things will kind of, there will be progress. It can be so easy to be frustrated. It can be so easy to be emotional. But if you remember negotiation is a process, not an event, and especially when it comes to salary negotiations, because they're so sensitive and so personal, right? If you ask for a raise and I say, absolutely not, it can be your first response, like, they don't value me, they hate me. You know, it could just be that we just had 2000 layoffs at this company. And so this is not a good time, or it could be, you know, fill in the blank. And so it, it, I think that is, uh, if I had to choose one right now, that's the one you get today.
2: <laughs> I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Tell people where they can find you, your books, learn more about you. And then we'll put all those links also in the show notes.
1: Awesome. Yeah. So Shapiro Negotiations Institute is the name of the company. Probably the best place is the website, really, ShapiroNegotiations.com. While we do have plenty of social media, probably the one that we use the most realistically is LinkedIn. So we have a blog and we post everything on there too. So if you find us there and hopefully there's some good resource available for everyone there.
2: Awesome. Andreas, thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Career Contested Podcast. Don't forget to rate and review our show. And be sure to check out our free salary database, The Salary Project, where you can view thousands of real salaries and get your own personalized salary report in 10 minutes or less. We link to that in the show notes.